following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. I want, to, I want you to turn to chapter 5. And uh, this, in this section, what, what Paul is doing is he is explaining the impact and the effects of a spirit-filled believer living within a household. And he tells them how they are to live and how the Spirit of God will manifest his power and his presence and his enlightenment in their lives. And so we're going to look in verses uh, 22 through 33 and see how a spirit-filled wife lives and how a spirit-filled husband lives. So let me read it to you first, beginning in verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ, who is, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself. This is amazing. Christ is going to present to himself his bride, which is the church. Uh, if you remember in your wedding, your wife and her mother presented her to you. Her, her father walked her down the aisle and presented her to you. But Jesus is going to present the church to himself. And we'll see what his, how he's going to do this in just a second that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Those are the two words used in the Old Testament of what you have to have. You, this has to be the quality of your life in order for you to be in the presence of the living God. In fact, if you remember back in chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, just as, as an example, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to become holy and blameless. That's the purpose of election. The purpose of God choosing you, to make you holy and blameless, fit for his presence. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Now, if you're not familiar with this teaching, this is one of the primary teachings of the New Testament, that the church of Jesus Christ is the bride of Christ, and that we have a relationship with him as his people, and he has called us to live in a certain way. For example, if you look back at... Uh, the beginning of, of chapter 5, he says, Paul says, therefore be imitators of God. He's talking to the people of God, those who have rested their faith in Christ and are part of the body of Christ, the church. He says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. He gave himself up for us. That means to hand, be handed over for judgment. He handed himself over for us so that he could save us and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk. Man, that's disappointing, isn't it? No silly talk. 
or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. And then back in, in, uh, later in the chapter, let me start in, in verse uh, 25 when he starts talking to the husbands. He's already talked to the wives. Now he's talking to the husbands. And uh, let me tell you, you probably don't believe this, but most husbands would gladly trade roles in this. It would be easier for them to simply submit to their wife because most men know their wives are more competent than they are. I know that. I am sure of it. And I'm sure that if if I had a business again, I'd love to have my wife run it. Uh, She'd do so much better job than I could. And so most men know this. And this is what husbands have been called to do by God himself. He says, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So if anybody in the family needs to die for the survival of the rest, it's the husband. You're in the front line. You're out there. And he says, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. And uh, that means that you protect your wife. You understand what he's saying. And he's saying this is, this is Christian love. This is the love of Christ, that we love our wives like we love our own bodies. And, and he says this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself and that the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. I know everybody thinks that what you should do is start with the husbands and then get to the wives, but Paul begins with the wives. He begins talking about spirit-filled wives. Now, you have to understand what he's talking about. This is the way a woman who is filled with the Spirit will live. This is what the Holy Spirit produces in her heart. It produces in her heart this desire to do it God's way to actually live her life in, in, in relationship with her husband as Jesus Christ would have them do it. And it's a real common pattern in the epistles of Paul that he, he first of all gives you this incredible vision of what God has done for you and who he is and how you should live in light of that. And that's what he does after telling you what God has done. Then he tells you, this is how you should live. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he's actually talking about giving there. I can't. I don't think I could preach about uh, women and and husbands and wives and money at the same time. That's just too much for you, right? Um, but what he what he says there in chapter eight in Second Corinthians chapter eight is that love is basically described there as an overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. It's amazing to watch somebody who, because of their love for a person. They want to be good to them. They want to do something for them. When they see they have a need, they want to meet that need. And that's what he says. It's an overflow of joy in God. We find such enjoyment in God himself that we gladly uh, give to meet the needs of others. This is what God's love produces. The love of God produces all kinds of things. And in this passage, he's saying that love, the love of Christ, produces, for example, 
that a woman is willing to submit to her husband because he knows this is God's ordained way of leadership. He will empower a man. Now, you could only do this if you believe that your husband was under the authority of Christ. And let me assure you, whether he knows it or not, he's under the authority of Christ. Christ is the authority over every man. That's what we're told in 1 Corinthians 11, that Christ is authority over every man. And so when a woman, a Christian woman, a Christian wife, submits to her husband, it's not because he's so great and wonderful and because he's got no weaknesses. It's because she loves Christ. Because she loves Christ, she's willing to submit herself to his leadership and do everything she can to help him be what Christ wants him to be. Now, she's not Christ, and sometimes if a woman starts acting like she's Christ, it can really get irritating. And don't say amen. Uh, but it's true. She's, and we're told that this is going to be a temptation back in Genesis chapter 3, chapter 3 verse 16. Genesis 3, 16, you should probably remember that. That's where it tells you that a woman is going to be tempted to take control of her husband. But she has to resist it. Now, why would that be a temptation? Well, because in a lot of cases, in my case, my wife could do it better. And so it's very tempting for her to want to take over. I I would assume, I've never seen that in her. I'm just saying I would assume that that would be a temptation and, and because she could do a better job of it. And so this is a temptation that she faces. But here we're told that Christ's love manifested in a spirit-filled wife is, includes her ranking herself under her husband as a leader of the home. Now, a lot of men don't want to be leaders of the home. And so wives are reluctant to hand it over to him. You don't know what kind of husband I have. You know, that's the, this is the world system's way. You know, he's not meeting my needs. She's not meeting my needs. And God doesn't want me unhappy, does he? Oh, I don't know. He might for a day or two. That might be exactly what you need, is to get discontent with how you, what you are doing, how you're living before God. And so, yes, sometimes he does want to, he does command us to do that which we don't want to do. In fact, that is the pattern. You know, we, we live under the new covenant. In the new covenant, it's all God working in us. In the old covenant, it was, it, was not, it was us working for God. That was the mindset of those under the old covenant. But in the new covenant, God is the one who's able to do everything. God is able to work in the heart of a woman who wouldn't naturally want to submit to her husband, but does because she loves God more than she loves being the queen of her home. You see, and so uh, sub- submitting to her husband is something that she knows, which is a response to the love of God for her. There's, in this passage that we're looking at, there are five different principles or ways of measuring submission, that this is Christian submission. This is the submission of a Christian wife who is filled with the Spirit as she lives with her husband. And there are five things here. The first one is voluntary submission to, to the leadership of her husband. You notice this? She doesn't say to the husband, cause your wife to submit to you. He doesn't do that. He hasn't commanded you to get your wife to submit. He commands the wife 
to submit in response to him, not her to submit in response, in a fearful response to her husband's. Now, I know there's a lot of stuff that goes on in homes that you would say, uh, I would never submit to a guy like that. Well, this is talking about a Christian home where the the husband and the wife are spirit-filled. They're living spirit-filled lives. And so this submission is, is, is voluntary because it's Christ who tells her to submit. He's not telling the husband to get her to submit. I've heard those kind of comments guys make to other guys. When are you going to get your wife under control? Well, what should happen is she should be standing right behind him and just slap him upside the head. Because that's absurd. You haven't been called to get your wife under control. You've been called to love your wife and treasure her. And the second thing about this submission, we're told it's a manifestation of her devotion to her Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the strength or goodness or handsomeness of her husband. It's her love for Jesus Christ. This is how she manifests her love for him. She trusts Christ enough to submit to her imperfect husband. That's the way I look at it. And that's why I so appreciate a wife who is willing to submit to an imperfect man. And then it's based upon the order of creation in verse 23. Christ's headship. And this is the wisdom of God. Now, here's, here's what's hard for you to argue against. This is the wisdom of God. I've talked to people who actually thought that they knew better than God about what they ought to do in order to be happy. And so they made a decision. And what they didn't realize is, no, you don't know better than God. That's why he's given you his word. He's given you his word so you can live your life in obedience to the wisest individual in the entire universe, God himself. He's given us wisdom. And so he tells a wife how to love her husband, and that is submitting to his leadership and being a follower and an encourager of him as he leads. And then it's dignified by the example of Christ's headship for his church. He says in verse 24 that we submit, we, that the wife is to submit just like the church is submitted to Christ in the same manner. It's respect. It's respect for Christ, not respect for your husband. It is respectful to your husband, but it's, a, it's, re, it's respect for Jesus Christ as the head. And then it's determined by the extent to which the church is subject to Christ. Notice verse 25. For the husband is, is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Now, that means that this submission is, is comprehensive, but it's in all areas. It, it, it covers all areas, but it's not unconditional. If a husband ever commands his wife to disobey God or refuse to obey him, then a wife should not obey her husband in that situation. I'm not going to disobey God because you say so. I'm going to obey God because that's what's best for you, and it's what is God has commanded. So it isn't, in all areas, it isn't unconditional. It's conditioned on a man wanting to, his wife to follow the commands of Christ and to manifest the life of Christ in her life. It's a beautiful thing to see a woman who, in many ways, is superior to her husband, but is in submission to her Lord Jesus Christ, so she takes the role of a submissive wife. A submissive wife doesn't mean somebody that wrings their hands and can barely speak a word to anybody. That's not submission. 
Submission is a person who understands that God has placed them in this, in this divine economy of her encouraging and helping and supporting her husband. Now, I think every Christian husband ought to have enough sense to know that this is the greatest asset he has, is the wife that God has given him and her ability to work in such a way under the headship of Jesus Christ to make him successful before God in the sense of being a spirit-filled man living as, as Paul said back in, chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 5, living in uh, imitating the living God. And so that's, that's why I, I watched this as I grew up. I watched my mom have a relationship with my dad in which she always showed respect for him. But she always lived an example before him. <laughs> always. And that was the most powerful force in his life. Was, was the way that his wife lived for Christ and submitted to him because of her love for Christ. So submitting to her husband is not an issue of technique or gimmick. It's an issue of spirituality. It has to do with your relationship with Christ. It's not, um, believe me, I have, I, I have experiences where a woman will tell me, you don't know my husband. He's a bum. I have a guy, uh, I have a friend who is a counselor, and he told me one time he was counseling somebody, and he told the wife, quite literally, this is what he said, throw the bum out. <laughs> I said, what? He said, well, he was a bum. He was, he was an ungodly man who was treating her as though she had no worth. Now, either line yourself up with the heart of Jesus Christ or stop it. Get out of this situation. Now, I'm not uh, advising you to file for divorce. I'm, I'm trying to tell you that what God has done is he has called the man to lead his home, and he, if he's going to lead his home, he's got to lead his wife. Not beat her into submission, but lead her by example, by the way that he walks with Christ. Now, in the, in the next section, in verses 22 through 20, 33, he begins to talk to the husbands. And let me tell you, uh, wives... This is right between the eyes. God is speaking to him as clearly as, can be, as he can speak to him. Listen to this. He says, For the husband is the head of the wife and so forth. Down in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, do you see the measurement of this love? This, this, this is... Uh, the measure of this love is, of Christ, is he gave himself up for us. You know what that means? That means to hand yourself over for judgment. He handed himself over for judgment in order to redeem his people. And so he says, husband, you're to have the same kind of heart. You're to love your wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So you are to love her to the point that you would lay down your life for her. And he goes on to say he did this so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That's an expression, a biblical expression that means that he was, that he was careful to give her what she needed to understand from the word of God. It's like cleansing with water, cleansing her before God so that she can stand before God knowing 
that she has been received and welcomed and that now she belongs to him. Didn't you love that in that expression this morning when, when Steve was reading? It says there that if, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we're, we're a liar and we're not practicing the truth. That's strong language, isn't it? And what he means is, if I'm not walking in the light, God is light, and the way that you walk in the light is by walking according to the revelation that he has given us. All of you know Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder, in other words, dividing of soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and it lays us bare. It fillets us. That's, the word. That's what the word means. You know what filleting a fish is? It says, the word of God fillets us before God to whom we must give an account. It shows us the truth about our hearts. See, a lot of times we can put on the outer looks of obedience to God, but we know that our heart is not right. Southern Baptist, the Southern Baptist denomination is going through a really tough time uh, back in Houston because there's been many, many different occurrences of abuse within local churches. And, and a lot of it was done by leadership. And what's happened is they're laid bare before the whole community. And a lot of times what, what we do is we can keep our sins secret so that nobody knows it outside of ourselves. And that is a huge problem. And what it does to us is every time we come to the word of God, it just flays us, it lays us open, and we see the truth about ourselves. Like that passage that uh, Steve was reading, it says, um, right after that it says, if we walk in the light as he, that is God, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus is cleansing us from all sin. Let me explain to you what the implications of that is. That the God of the universe, the God you have never seen with your physical eyes, the God who is the creator and sustainer of all things, who sent his son into the world to save us, that God says you can have personal fellowship with him if you simply walk in the light. Now, what is that? What is walking in the light? It's living your life according to God's revelation. He tells you what's true. And he says, if you walk in the light, if you walk according to this revelation, you can have fellowship with God. But if I lie, if I live my life being one thing on the outside and being something else in private, then I'm going to be tainted by that sin. But he says, if you walk in the light, if you walk according to the word of God, you can have fellowship with God and the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. Let me explain that. What he means by that expression in that context is this, that all of you know, I would hope you know this, that you, you are sinful. You got, you got your sins forgiven, but you still have sin. That is the, the power of sin within you. Have you noticed that? That the great temptation there is in just daily life at times when I want to do what I know God forbids or I don't want to do what he commands? It happens all the time, and that's because we still have sin clinging to us. Now, we've been given a remedy for it, but we still have it to us. So we're all aware of the fact, I'm forgiven. We sing that song all the time, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. That's the truth. That's the truth of Scripture. Your sins have been forgiven, and your sins have been taken care of. They're no longer a weight on you. 
when you believed in Jesus Christ. But you still have sin clinging to you, the power of sin, and so you're tempted. I'm just going to be honest with you. I know you're tempted. I know that on the daily, weekly, monthly basis, we go through times of great temptation. Sometimes it's simply stuff like, I want to say something about this person that God told me not to say. Because what he told me to do is he told me to speak to people truth in love. I'm to tell them the truth, but I'm going to do it in love. But sometimes I just want to tell somebody off. Now, I usually do it, I don't know about you, but I usually do it while I'm driving down the road and nobody's in the car with me. And I make up this, this speech that I'm going to say to them, which I never do. You know how that is. And, uh, and I know it's sin. I know I have a sinful attitude in my heart. I had this happen the other day. Somebody had done something, not in this group, but somebody in my, in my life had done something that I thought was horrible. It was so wretched. It was so mean-spirited. And I was so angry. And so I'm driving down the road, and, I'm, man, I'm telling him off. And if he could have heard it, it would have done nothing except distance him from me. Because what we're told to do is speak the truth in love. i got to love you enough to tell you the truth. You know, the Bible says that we, uh, it's so, we're so prone to want to take the speck out of our brother's eye while we have a log in our own eye. Can you see that? You know, a big log sticking out of your eye. And you're saying, hey, let me take, I can see something in your eye. Let me take it out of your eye. That doesn't work, does it? And so Jesus said, first get the log out of your eye and then take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Well, I have to speak the truth. This is what God's called me to do is to speak the truth in love, to manifest love towards people. And I'm telling you this truth because I love you. Because here's the fact. If you speak in love, you'll speak truth. If you speak in truth, you'll speak in love if you know the truth of the word of God. And so what, what John is talking about is, when I'm having fellowship with God, one of the things that he does is so wonderful is that he washes me clean as I have fellowship with him. That is clean in this sense. He, he makes me clean. Your, your wife ever make you uh, take a shower and get all cleaned up because you're going to meet some important people, or at least important to her? You know that? No? No? They just leave it up to you, huh? Okay, well, what, what happens is we know that when we're in the presence of certain people in certain situations, we need to have showered and cleaned up and cleaned ourselves up so we're fit for this kind of meeting and, be, and get together. Well, he says when we're having fellowship with God, Jesus is continually cleansing us from all sin. He's cleansing us from all sin. Now, the other technique is just don't let them know that you've got sin in your life. Just don't, don't talk about it. You know, just keep it silent, which is really hard. And uh, what Jesus does, though, he says, if you walk in the light, that is, you tell the truth, you speak truth, you live truth, you have fellowship with God and the blood of Jesus at the same time is washing you clean so you can have this close, intimate fellowship with God. You're clean enough to be in the presence of God, like holy and blameless. That's the work of Christ. And so this is what, uh, what he has called us to, is to walk in this way. I... Uh, 
I want to de- describe this uh, love of husbands for wives, a spiritual husband. These are the characteristics of it. It's sovereign. That is, God chose to love you. Did you know that? That God set his affection on you. It says Christ loved the church. When did he do that? When did you catch his eye? Well, we're told in Romans 5 and Romans 8 that this was an act of God before the foundation of the world. He decided to love you. It was before you were all cleaned up because that's what he does. He purifies my heart. He cleans my life up so that I'm fit to be in his presence. But he said his love on me while I was still a sinner. Anybody can quote that verse, Romans 5, 8? Remember that verse? God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, lawbreakers, he sent his son of the world to redeem us. He saved us through Christ, and he sent Christ to redeem us. I, I really love this, this whole picture of Christ being the one who cleans us up and gets us ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. He gets us ready. He gets us pure, holy, and without blame, so that when we are joined to Christ in the future as his people, it's because of what he has done. He has cleansed us. And you know what? This is how the Christian life is. I need to, be, I need to understand that when I go to God, I can't, what I'm tempted to do is to confess, not only confess all my sins, but to do more than that, to confess more than I actually did to tell God what a piece of slime I am, how worthless I am, how no good I am, thinking that he's, I'm gonna, he's going to feel sorry for me. He's going to give me a break. No, he's the one who arranged your forgiveness. He's the one who sent Christ to die for your sins. And so when you go to him, you're going to the one who wanted to forgive you. You're going to the one who's whose goal in working with you in your life is to cleanse you and make you perfect as a bride of Christ. He's at work in us always. And so his love for us, the love of Christ for us is sovereign. And when he began to love us, we were sinners. I I read this this past week. I've tried to learn to read this without getting broken up over it because it touches my heart. But Robert Falconer, who was an evangelist, he tells the story of his witnessing among really destitute people in a certain city And he was reading them the story of the woman who washed the feet of Jesus with her tears. You remember that in Luke? She washed his feet with her tears, and she she dried them with her hair. And Mary Magdalene did the same thing. Washed his feet and then dried them with her hair, manifesting her love and appreciation and gratitude to Jesus for what he had done for them. Well, while, while Falconer was reading this, he heard this loud sob and he looked up at a young, thin girl whose face was disfigured by smallpox, very unattractive. After he spoke a few more words of encouragement to her, she said, will he ever come again, this one who forgave the woman? Because he's listening to the story. I've heard that he's going to come back. Is it going to be soon? And Falconer replied to her, and he says, well, he could come at any time. But why do you ask this anyway? Why, why is that important to you? And she sobs some more, and then she says, Sir, can't he wait a little while longer? My hair isn't long enough. It ain't long enough, she said, yet to wipe his feet. <laughs> she said, I want to be able to, I want to, be able to show him gratitude. 
and my hair is not long enough yet. Isn't God good? Isn't he good? When, you, when your eyes are open to the gospel and you realize the truth of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus, it makes loving your wife a pleasure, a glorious pleasure. I, God has put a woman in my life that I can, I can love her from my heart because Christ has redeemed us and made us whole in his presence. And so it's, it's the love of, of husbands is like the love of Christ. The love of Christ is sovereign. He chose to love you. He chose to love you. That's amazing. And then it's sacrificial. He gave himself up for her. He handed himself over to die in her place. He gave himself. And then it's selective. We're told the Lord is, is good to all, and he has mercies over all his works. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, it says he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But like Christ, Christian men ought to love his sisters in Christ, but not like he loves his own wife. He has a special love for her. And Christ has a special love for his people, and he wants husbands to love their wives the way he loves the church. That's the kind of love he wants us to have for our wives. And then in verse 26, it's, it's saving and sanctifying. Listen, listen to these two verses, in this verse, in verse 26. So that he might sanctify her, cleansed, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He brought the word of God into your life. Somebody came to you and told you God's opinion about Jesus. They told you about what he testified concerning his son. This is my son. Listen to him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Somebody told you about what God said, and you begin to listen, and you begin to hear the truth about him through the word of God, or someone telling you what the word of God says. That's because God did that. Jesus Christ did that, because he had set his love upon you. And then it's, it's saving and sanctifying. It sets you apart to God, his love for you. The more you find out about his love for you, the more you come close to him. That's exactly what happens. Uh, in raising children, I have learned one lesson, and it's this, that love, the manifestation of love, does, does so much more than anger. It's so, it's so much more effective to love them than it is to beat the tar out of them. You know that? Now, we have to be, we're disciplinarians. We understand that we're supposed to tell them when they're wrong and get their attention in different ways. But what, what we're told in Scripture is that God is satisfied. He is, he is uh, pleased when he can show his, display his splendor through his children. He wants to use you in such a way that people can see the glory of his son. Remember, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, about we're on mission. And the mission is, is to glorify Jesus Christ by our lives. And one of the ways that we glorify Christ by our lives is doing exactly what he commands here, that we love our wives the way Christ loved the church, and we're willing to lay down our lives for her. There's a fascinating passage I want you to turn to. It's the last, next to the last book in the Bible. Turn to the beginning of the book of Revelation. That's the last book in the Bible. And right there, right above it in my Bible, it's just right above the beginning of Revelation, verse 24 and 25 of Jude. Jude, he writes this. He says, 
now to him. He's already get, written them a letter, and he's, he has told them how they're to live and how they're to be consistent in their walk with Christ. And then he says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, and then he says, with great joy. Let me explain something to you. Let me give you a grammar lesson. This last phrase, with great joy, is not talking about you when he presents you to the Father. It's talking about him. It's, it's definitely connected to the one who presents you to the Father. He does it with great joy. Some of you are probably going to be surprised when Jesus presents you to the Father and he manifests joy inexpressible and full of glory. It's going to survive you. Some, I mean, it's going to surprise you because sometimes we get a little nervous when somebody acts like they're too happy when they're together with other believers. Maybe we're worshiping or something and they're just showing all this joy and it's kind of scary to us. Man, what's wrong with that person? Well, maybe they're like Jesus because when he presents you to the Father, that's going to surprise you. It's like you're wanting to hide in the shadows, right? You don't want anybody to even pay attention to you. And here Jesus is, and he's rejoicing. In fact, the implication of that phrase is he's singing as he presents you to the Father with great joy. Now, that is an amazing thing to me, to think that God loves me that way, that he's going to take great joy in presenting me to the Father. But that's exactly what it says. Now, the love of Jesus is an incredible theme. In fact, it's, Paul said it surpasses knowledge, the love of Christ, the way Christ loves you. It surpasses knowledge. If it surpasses knowledge, it certainly surpasses my ability to talk about it. I am an amateur at this. My heart feels it better than my lips can tell it. There's no subject I would rather talk about than this. And yet, I don't feel qualified to talk about it. How can I possibly talk about the love of Jesus for his people and the love of Jesus for me? It's the most amazing subject in heaven and earth. But the Bible says that he actually loves us. Now, you can, you can, you can kind of imagine love between two mortal people who are here for a while, they're dying, and they're going to be separated from each other. But love, eternal love, that the Son of God loves you for eternity? It's amazing, isn't it? It's almost embarrassing that this love of Christ is likened here to the love of a husband for a wife, for his wife. I really love my wife deeply, and I hope she's not here because she told me not to say anything about her today. I don't see her. But anyway, uh, think of this, husbands. This passage says that, your, that Christ's love for the church is like your love for your wife. Could you boldly say amen to that? Could you? Isn't that something? That's what he says. He says it's a great mystery. It's like an ocean that we look at with awe. We want to wade out into it a little bit, but I confess that it's so deep we want to get out very quickly. That's what this, this woman, this girl, who was saying, can he wait a little longer so my hair can grow out, so I have, my hair will be long enough so I can wipe his feet when I wash his feet with my tears? That's the way it makes you feel. Because God, God's saving us. I can't tell you how grateful I am that God reached down and saved me probably 50, 
some years ago, 55, 59 maybe. I'm going to be, we have, we have an anniversary coming up on this next Saturday. What's the matter with you? I didn't forget. It's next Saturday. My 56th. I've been married 56 years. I've known my wife since she was 13 years old. And he says that my love for her is to be like the love of Christ, is like the love of Christ for his people. Isn't that something? The pleasure of all those years of loving. I don't know how you could do it unless you were together for this long. Because you finally get to know each other. <laughs> the danger is, of course, she knows me. That's the scary part. But what an amazing thing that God has loved us in this way through the person of Christ. And he wants us to share in that by loving our own wives in the same way. What a blessedness. When, we, when I went away to seminary, I took a year off, went down to Talbot to finish seminary because I hadn't finished and I'd been at it a long time. So we were down there for a year. We came home. And uh, about, it was probably about a month after we came back. One day in church, I had to announce to the church, the Valley Bible Church, that my wife was pregnant. And I said, this child was planned before the foundation of the world. (laughs) And they all laughed because I knew I didn't plan it. Because I was taken totally by surprise. But I got to tell you, that was a blessed thing. It was a blessed thing because it was the fruit of our love for each other. And Christ, the fruit of Christ's love for you is going to be seen in the way that he uses you to impact people's lives and to see them come to receive the love of Christ in their own lives. And it's the most blessed thing in all the world. Um, that's why we, we, this is what we would do. If you lead someone to Christ, we would want you to baptize them. And the reason is, is we want you to see the fruit of what God has used you to do. That's, that's our assignment. And so to say that, well, you know, God commands that I love my wife the way Christ loved the church, and he commands her, this is the hard one, he commands her to submit to me the way the church submits to Christ. And, and uh, I, can just, I can just see people thinking, man, that would be tough to submit to him. But you know what it is? It's a fulfillment of his love for her. His glorious love for her. And you think, well, man, that seems like torture. That seems like punishment almost. No, it's a glorious blessing. It's a glorious blessing. He lets us experience the life of Christ in real time reality. He lets us find out what it's like. This is what happens when you obey Christ. He blesses your life beyond any way that you could ever measure. Greatest thing in the world for him to bless his people in this way. Father, we bow our heads and our hearts before you. We know that you are a loving father and you have poured out your grace on us in so many ways. And Father, we thank you for the hard things of life. Those things are such great challenges because we learn through them like nothing else. Thank you so much for your wisdom and your power and your glory. And we give ourselves to you. We want to be used by you. 
And all of us husbands want to be used by you to love our wives the way Christ loved the church. Amen? I'd like all you men to stand because I want to ask the Lord to do something in your life. If you just stand a second. Father, I want to ask you for these brothers in Christ that you would give them the great, great joy of loving their wives the way Christ loved the church. I pray you'd use them. I pray, Father, you would, the Spirit of God would bring repentance and faith and turning to a life that is mimicking the very actions of Jesus Christ when he came to die for us. I pray that they would love them so much they would be willing to lay down their lives for them. Lord, make us a church that's characterized by spirit-filled people in homes, in families, that live out in the power of the Spirit what you've called us to live out. We pray that you would do that and that you would use us to fulfill the mission of glorifying Christ in this world here in Knights in California. We pray that you would do that, Father, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.